Thank you, guys. We serve a great God, and as much as we've worshipped him this morning, he is not only great to be admired, although he is great to be admired, to be looked upon, to be uh, seen as holy, to be glorified, but in his greatness, he decided to use that uh, to bring to us forgiveness from sin. And so we have not only a God who is great, but a God whose mercy is great. And we have felt that in this place. I want to say a word of thanks to our church. Uh, We've been in the midst of a missions offering. And uh, we set a goal of $10,000, which as you know by now, had me a little bit scared. Uh, But uh, church, you have reached that and exceeded it. I think if you look in your bulletin today, you will see our total so far is 14,000, I think 230, uh, something like that. $14,230, $14,230, and so praise the Lord for that. We close that out uh, after uh, today's the last, last day. We'll promote that, but we close it out at the end of this week. If you uh, would like a chance to participate in that offering, there's still time uh, for you. And so uh, thank you, Poplar Springs, uh, for such a strong missions offering uh, this year. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we're going to be in verses 1 through 10, the very beginning of chapter 2 in the letter to the Ephesians. This is in your New Testament, and so take your time and find your way there if you have your Bible today. I think you're going to want to lay your eyes on this um, and uh, look at it with me. If you don't have a Bible, uh, these words will be on the screen for you. And if you don't have a Bible in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here today without a good, reliable copy of God's Word just for you. And so we have those on the table in the back, uh, good quality uh, Bibles, uh, good solid translations, and uh, you take that at no cost to you. Uh, we don't want anyone to leave here without that if you need one, and so uh, don't be afraid. Been a lot of strange things this week, haven't there? 2023 is uh, starting off just as strange as 2022 did. We've seen a Pope's funeral taking place before our eyes. Uh, Pope uh, has, uh, the Pope Emeritus has died, and the Pope is presiding over a Pope's funeral, the first time that's ever happened in all of history. <clears throat> We're going to see that take place. We've seen the House of Representatives in a frenzy, haven't we? I mean, they've been climbing all over each other to figure out who's going to be the leader of the legislature uh, this year. But on Monday, uh, a really strange thing happened. I don't know if you took note of it or not, but I've got a picture of it on the screen I'd like to show you. Uh, did anybody see this picture? I mean, that stuck out to me. Of all the strange things happening this year, this one really was a powerful image. And if you don't know, on, <clears throat> on Monday uh, during a, an NFL game, uh, the Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin, was playing and was struck by a tackle, by all indications and observations, a normal tackle. It wasn't particularly, you know, powerful. It was just a regular part of play. And he stood up from the field and took a step or two, and in an instant dropped back to the ground and was gone. And people rushed onto the field to to see uh, what was happening with him. Was, Was he unconscious? Was he breathing? No, he was not conscious. No, he was not breathing. No, his heart was not pumping. No, there was no pulse. There was simply lifelessness from a 24-year-old man who had in a moment ago been at the peak of his athletic career, and he was gone. 
And praise God, there were people there, a world-class medical care rushed onto the field and, and um, was able to revive him, and he's still not out of the woods. He's still being cared for. But right here in this picture, <clears throat> as his lifeless body was still there on the field, you cannot see it, uh, but this is not after the game. This is right as it was going on, as medical technicians are around him, moving, opening, all of that. His team, and all you can see here, not only the team, but the coaches and the trainers, people with microphones and media carriages are all around him, and most of them, if not all of them, <clears throat> were in prayer to God. They were praying over their teammates' lifeless body. We talked about this just a week or so ago. There are some moments that are too big for us. I mean, the, life and death are not in our hands. And in those moments, even someone who may uh, rarely or never call on the name of the Lord finds themselves in a position where they are on bended knee and pleading before the God of the universe that he would please intervene and do something. And life and death is one of those times. We don't have the power over life and death. And when it comes to a 24-year-old man whose life is lost, we're shocked, we're dismayed, uh, we're pleading with God. But there's a truth that many times we overlook. And that truth is that all of us, every human being who is born into this world, guess what? We are spiritually dead. We're as spiritually dead as DeMar Hamlin was dead on that field in that moment. We are lifeless, but we don't panic over that. And we don't plead with God over that. We've grown comfortable with our condition, our spiritual condition. We need to remember, as this Ephesian letter is going to tell us just a moment, our condition before Christ was one of absolute spiritual deadness. We had nothing. We could do nothing. We were hopeless. We were done until Jesus came. And so we're going to read this together, uh, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2 of the Ephesian letter, written by the Apostle Paul from prison to, uh, I think, a group of churches that he loved dearly, but who were always afraid that they weren't fully in the household of God because they had been Gentiles uh, before. And so we're going to read this together, part of this loving letter to these people he cares for, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Why, why are both of these words here? We don't know for sure. Uh, it could be that, that sin uh, represents our, our sinfulness. We're born into the world as, as, as descendants of Adam, that first sinner. We're born into the world as sinners. That's our nature. That's our condition. And trespasses are those willful things that we do in life to sin. But nevertheless, we are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who is that? That is Satan, the prince of the power of the air. The Bible elsewhere will call him the, the God of this world, little g, or the God of this age. Satan has rulership in this fallen world. Who has higher rulership? The Lord God. But Satan 
is the prince of the power of the air. He is that spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God. Praise the Lord for those two words. Amen. But God. All this stacked against us, but God being rich in mercy. The, the word here we've talked about recently is pluosis. He, he's over, overflowing. Uh, he's plural. It, it, the mercy is, is great. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, now this is a famous verse. This is something that you need in your pocket for your life. Verse 8. For by grace, that means unmerited favor. Nothing you could do to earn it. It was just a gift of God. It was from him. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What do we need to know about our gift of salvation? I mean, of all the texts of Scripture right here, there are three truths I want us to look at this morning. The first is this. Sin grips every human life inescapably. Sin grips every human life inescapably every human being is born into complete spiritual deadness did you know that do you believe that this morning every human being is born into complete spiritual deadness and the the picture of deadness here is meant to be a, a total complete devastation that's why these first verses here open up and just tell us every step of how badly in need we are of salvation. There are three spiritual enemies that are followed here. The first is this, the course of this world. We follow in our natural state. We are born into spiritual deadness, and we are following the course of a fallen world. That's the ways of the world. That's the notions of the world. Uh, That's the, the mindset of the world. That's the sin of the world. That's the depth of depravity that is in our world. We are following that. We are following the prince of the power of the air. We're following Satan. We have no choice in the matter. We're born sinful. We're following the world. We're following Satan. And that's how much in the grip of this we are. And lastly, we're following the passions of our flesh. We are subject to it. These things control us. And as we follow the passions of our flesh, what do we do? We carry out the desires <clears throat> of the body and of the mind, and in following these things, we are by nature children of what? Wrath. That is the righteous anger of God against sin. That, that's whose children we are. 
This is a bad situation. And it's true of everyone. This is not just true of a particular group of people or a particular person who's degraded or deplorable in some special way who our eyes might filter and say, oh, if anybody deserves wrath, it's, it's them. If anyone is in the grip of Satan, it's them. No, this is of everybody. This is of the young man who's full of life and vigor. And you see, how can you say that he's dead, that he's in the prime of his youth? No, the Bible tells us, and on the authority of the Word of God, that man outside of Christ is spiritually, what? Dead. He's dead. This is true of the businessman at the peak of his career. How can you say there's deadness there? Look what he's achieved. Look what he's done. No, he's dead. This is the politician at the prime of his power. This is everybody. We are following these things. We are dead in our trespasses. My son Jackson, when he's a little boy, very little, <clears throat> uh, nearly a baby, more than a toddler, I guess, but little guy, him and his cousin were um, at a ball game with my wife Erica and some other kids and as a, a little little league game, going to see someone play ball. And uh, turned around, Jackson was gone. And so was Sarah Kate, the cousin. Looked for them everywhere, <clears throat> tried to find where they were. Uh, no sign of them. And so as they got more panicked and started looking, other people in the little stands there started looking with them. And before long, a, a huge party of people was searching and calling and, and looking for them. There were some woods nearby and <clears throat> it led to a road. And I thought, oh my goodness, have they gone through the woods? And so people started looking in the woods and calling them. Nothing. I mean, it's just to total panic, right? They looked uh, beyond the woods and down a hill they could see a playground. They thought, well, maybe, these are kids, maybe they went for the playground. They walked down there calling their names and finally there they saw them on this playground, it, it was, had to be a, a, see like a quarter mile away. And it was, they had wandered far away. Um, and the destination was what? They got to get to that playground, don't they? They got to get to where they're going. Where, what's the destination for those of us who are born into sin, who are following, we're following the course of this world. We're following the prince of the power of the air. We're following the lust of the flesh, and, and, and all the impulses that are within human beings, the destination there is the wrath of God. And it is a righteous wrath. Human sinfulness has each and every one of us on a terrifying doomsday course. It's like a roller coaster. The, the wheels of that coaster are just gripped to those rails, and you in the coaster are going to go where it takes you, that's where we are in the, in the depth of our sinfulness. We are on a terrifying course toward the wrath of God. And that is our natural state. We are still born into this world. Spiritual deadness is our condition. Sin is our master. Wrath is our destination. That's our reality, right? Happy New Year. <laughs> that's pretty bad, isn't it? But the reason it's so bad is because that's exactly what the Bible is doing here. That's exactly what God is trying to say here. The, the, the Gentiles are saying, are you sure that we belong in the household of God? And Paul is effectively saying, no, you don't, because none of us does. It's as bad as you think it is uh, before Christ. 
You don't belong. And he's encouraging them by starting out with the blackness of where we are spiritually without Christ. But then he goes on. The next point is this. God's mercy is greater. God's mercy is greater than the greatest sin. Against this huge description uh, of, of how bad it is, of how bad things are, uh, two words are required to overcome it. What are they? But God. You see, God is bigger and God is badder than the worst sin that we see here. God can overcome what we could never overcome. My grandfather was a big eater, and I have inherited that from him. Uh, he loved to eat breakfast and cook eggs and fried bologna sandwiches. Anybody do fried bologna since a few of us left? Uh, he loved all of it. And if there's something I wouldn't eat, he'd, he'd, he'd always say, you don't know what's good. And I guess I didn't. Uh, but he would, he would make these huge plates of food. And he would, in his heart, there was a conviction he had, you've got to what? Clean your plate. Right? Y'all heard that before. <laughs> and he would take his toast, or his cornbread and his biscuits, and the sole purpose of those parts of the meal were what? To sop, Right? He used the word sop. He would sop up. Every, he would just wipe it clean like he's cleaning a window, and he would eat it. He would soak it up like a sponge. There's a picture here uh, that our plate of sinfulness, it is heaped high. It's more than we can take. It's grander than we can do. We cannot overcome what has been placed in front of us, what's on our plate. But God comes along. And he does something unthinkable that we can never do. That mass of sin there that is stacked against us, that is calling us children of wrath like the rest of mankind, God comes along and sweeps it clean. And when you look at that plate at the end, it looks like it is brand new. The Lord is able to do what we cannot do. I talked to someone this week who said, Matthew, financially stacked against us, uh, it's insurmountable. He says, if I could just tell you the amount, that there's no way we could pay this off. Have you ever been in that situation before? You're facing something, <clears throat> it's just more than you can handle. You don't have the strength, you don't have the income, you don't have the, the gifts. In this lifetime, you could not beat it. And in a moment in the Scripture, it pivots here. It says, but God can. Because God is rich in mercy. Praise God that he's rich in mercy. Pray, uh, amen. Praise the Lord that we have a God who is deep, he's rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. He did this for us. And there's a picture required here, they're, they're, they're painted for us here. There, there's something that we're to look at here. Uh, God meets every one of our enemies, every one of our spiritual opposition. He meets it with his greatness. Here, here's how it looks. When we're faced with wrath, God meets it with mercy. When we're faced with death, God meets it with life. This is straight from this text of Scripture. Uh, we're children of wrath. Listen, God is rich in mercy. I mean, <clears throat> we're spiritually dead. He makes us alive together with Christ. When we are in the spiritual grip of these masters who have control over us, God just says, no, 
He just removes us from their custody. We no longer belong to him. Where does he put us instead? He seats us in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. At every turn, every little dish on our plate, God is able to neutralize it by the greatness of his mercy. And I promise you today that when our sin was greater than we could bear, and it was for every one of us, when it was greater than we could bear, God stepped down and in mercy, he showed us that he was greater. You have a greater God. If your plate is too full this morning, if, if you are in an impossible situation because of sin, there is good news. God is greater. That's a simple message. You're in a good spot. You might say, for some people God can save. For these good people I know he can. For these hardworking people. But Matthew, you don't know my background I don't have to know it. <clears throat> God already knows it, and he gave his life to save you. This is a saving God. This is the grace that is greater than all our sin, and it's still true today. Yes, it's a dark picture at the beginning. Yes, <laughs> it's inescapable, but here comes God, and he's rich in mercy. But the last is this. This life-changing work of God is forever. It is a forever work of God. God's salvation is promised to continue permanently. Look in verse 7 here, if you will. Uh, he does all this so that in the coming ages, that is to say the age to come, the age after this world, that is to say when, when you're gone from this earth and have moved on to eternity, or else when Jesus comes back and receives you to himself, either way, in the age to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It doesn't just happen in a moment. It is a promise for forever. The kindness of God, the mercy of God, it is effectual. It is placed within you, and it will secure you on to that day of final redemption. It is a permanent promise. How can we be sure of this? We can be sure of it because we didn't do it. We did not do it. It doesn't depend on us. For Christmas, I had to put together a treadmill um, to get ready. It was one of our family's Christmas presents. And I told you before, it was supposed to take two hours. It took me two days out in the little building. And I put it together. Um, so many pieces left over. No, not really. I <coughs> so many pieces. So many pieces. I so many steps, you know what I mean? And we got to the end of it, and I'm pretty sure I did it right, and everything was tightened up the way it's supposed to be and snug. And we got it up there to the house, put it in there and plugged it in, and somebody had to try it out for the first time. Guess who I didn't want that to be? Me. Because I know who put it together, right? We put our dog on it, and... Uh, <clears throat> When it's based on you sometimes, you think, I, I don't know. I, I, try, I, I, you know I, I can look at the car, maybe I can try to fix some things, but I, I'm, I don't know. I don't want to put my daughter in that car after I gave my best shot at it. I don't want to put myself on that treadmill if I, after I know that it was these hands that built it. And the Colossian church, or the Ephesian church rather, like many of us today, may be asking the question, how do I know? that I'm saved? How do I know that I can trust 
what Jesus has said uh, that he's done for me? Uh, how do I know this will withstand my present and my life and the trials and the future? How do I know in heaven I can be sure? Well, the, the answer in this text is this. It doesn't depend on you. Look here. <clears throat> in the coming ages, he's going to show us uh, this, these riches and grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. Why? Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. In the King James it says, and that not of yourselves, right? It, it, it doesn't depend on us. You didn't build your salvation. God did. And when God builds it, you can place the weight of your life on that. It is not as a result of works. Works play a role in the Christian life. And this text brings that out. It's not to say we, we, we're not to live morally. We're not to live to do good. We're not to represent Christ. Uh, all those things come, but when do they come? They come because we are saved. We are saved not as a result of works so that no man may boast. For we are his works, you might say. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The message is this. You can trust the salvation that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ because it doesn't depend on you. He's the one who did it. The saving work of God can hold the weight of your life and your future because its strength is found in him alone. You are secure in Christ. That's where this message is going. This message, God's message in his word. There's a lot of time we could spend in this dense text today uh, talking about this and that and it would be a wonderful conversation but the thrust of this message is that we can have confidence in this world and that we would remember that we would remember from the deep places that God has saved us from I have a friend who works <clears throat> in the hospital in Chattanooga a cousin of mine actually and he's a, a nurse and he works many times with people who passed away. When the time comes for him to go in and to see to the body of that person, uh, to, to prepare them to go to the funeral home or <clears throat> maybe to the morgue, there's certain things that have to be tended to before that happens. And he's told me some stories of times when he's been in there <clears throat> and something shocking would happen uh, where there would be a final breath that escapes from a person and, and it, it surprises you is there life there I mean you, you wonder or something will happen with the eyes that it, for a moment he stands back and it startles him sometimes it, just in turning or moving an arm will fall a certain way that that resembles movement by that person and he's shocked and he says no, no no matter how long he's done that it, it doesn't cease to, to, to really startle him and, 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 and give him a moment of, of pause. It creeps him out is the, is the way you would put that in a, a common way of, of saying it. Why is that true? Why is it such a, a strange thing? Because dead people do not come back to life. It is impossible, right? This is an impossible thing that's happening. But listen, God has come. Jesus has come. And he did, he did it to do the very impossible thing we're talking about. We were 
as factually dead as the deadest person that we've ever seen. It's a reality. But God, but God saw fit through Christ to give of his own son that we could have salvation. And in this short portion of God's word, we have every reason, <clears throat> reason to turn to him or every reason to turn back to him. If you're outside of Christ today, listen, God is ready to receive you to turn to him. He did not send his son to give his life on a cross so that he could wash his hands of us at the earliest convenience. God is ready for you to come home. And if you belong to him already, it gives you every reason to live for him. We are his workmanship, and we ought to live like that. Are you living like you're the workmanship of this all-saving God this morning? If you need to come to him today, why would you wait another moment? It's time for you to come to life. Let me pray for us.